26. And he mentioned in the hadith of Hudayfa that there will come a time, Unasun du'atun ala abwaab jahannam. فَمَنْ أَجَابُمْ إِلَيْهَا قَذَفُوهُ فِيهَا فَقَالْ مَاذَا تَأْمُرُنَا يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ قَالْ إِلْزَمْ جَمَعَةَ الْمُسْلِمِينَ وَإِمَامَهُمْ And at the end, he said, وَإِنْ لَمْ يَكُنْ لَهُمْ جَمَعَةَ وَلَا إِمَامَ قَالْ فِعْتَزِلْ تِلْقَ الْفِرَقُ there will be a lot of sects, a lot of differing, a lot of ideologies. In the hadith of Hudayfa, narrated by a Muslim, so he asked the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa what shall I do when such a time befalls me? So he says, ensure that you hold on to the original affair. And even if you had to bite onto it with your molar teeth, until death um, met you in that way. So it's time of great tribulation, especially where we live in the West. We live in a very politicized uh, Western environment and our world is becoming increasingly globalized. What happens in one part of the world affects all of us. So it's an important thing for Muslims living in this part of the world to learn some of the tools which Islam brought for them to be able to live Islam in a way which was coherent, in a way which gave them a balance in their lives but also um, for us to explore that some of the objectives of Islam is to enable us to, to live uh, very fulfilled and happy lives. So to give you a broad overview of some of these things, the first obviously is, and this is the thing that comes and precedes everything, it is knowledge and its implementation. So we are an ummah where knowledge precedes all speech and action as Imam al-Bukhari, Rahimahullah made the chapter in his book Babun Al Ilmu Qabl Al Qawli Wal Amal Wa Wa Qawluhu Sallallahu and he used as evidence Fa'alam Annahu La Ilaha Illallah Wa Staghfil Lidhambi in his chapter in his Sahih that knowledge precedes speech and action um, and he used the saying of Allah in Surah Muhammad Fa'alam No O you Muhammad that la ilaha illallah, and then seek the refuge of Allah, wherein it's either it's us versus them. It is a case of if somebody um, commits a major sin, then they are regarded as leaving the fall of Islam. So we need tools that enable us to um, embrace the fact that we live in a world um, which things um, are often, there are many shades of grey, and there are many... Um, issues that could be problematic for us and hence it's important for us to be able to um, to deal with those things so deconstructing what it means to live islam in the west it determines or it shapes how we interact with ourselves first of all and secondly how we interact with our kith and kin our families and likewise and third and most importantly how we engage with civil society because um as it's not hidden from all of us. Our religion has sadly been um, smeared by so many atrocities and so many uh, things which have been attributed to it, which it is free from. And in our quest to enable people to see this religion through um, beauty, 
and we really need to have tools to engage with civil society. The next part after that um, is to recognize the objectives of Islam. That's really key if you are able to live Islam in any context, especially in the West. So it is really surprising for some people when you know that Islam came, one of its prime objectives as Ibn Qayyim rahimahullah and then him from um, the ulama is that Islam came, it came to fulfill happiness in this world. And so it is key for us Muslims to be able to um, achieve and act like that. Second is that Islam came to preserve the maslaha al-amma, the general well-being and welfare of people, the, Muslim, the Islamic community, but also the broader society. And in that, he has introduced the concept of the darurat al-khams, the five basic necessities of life which Islam came to preserve. And then finally, I talked about the importance of taking action. Uh, saying or guiding or guiding this ummah to the importance of taking action, regardless of the circumstances, especially when their success was dependent upon it. So this is the skeleton overview of my talk. Um, I go back to the first aspect, um, talking about knowledge and its implementation. Right. I'll stop sharing. Come back when there is um, a need for me to refer back to the screen. Right. So we know as an ummah that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala said, "Ihdina sirat al mustaqim sirat al ladina an amta alayhim ghair al maghdubi alayhim wal dalin." When we ask Allah Subhanahu wa Taala five times a day, um, at the very least, to guide us to the straight path, this path has been clarified as a path of knowledge. The Quran said that those who Allah has bestowed his mercy upon are in Surah An-Nisa They are this is the path of the Nabiyin, the prophets and the Shuhada, the Siddiqin rather, those who attested to the truth of the prophets and were the foremost in their followers and then you have the martyrs, the shuhada, and then you have the salihin. The common thread that goes be between all of these sects and all of these groups of people is that they followed the path of knowledge. And so it is really um, encouraging to see Muslim institutions um, being bred in the West, um, seeking to spread the authentic teachings of Islam um, by returning the people to the original affair. Um, when the Prophet Sallallahu clarified the Sayyid sect, the Ta'ifat al-Mansura, he described it as here, ala mithl alayhi ashabi. They are upon what I am upon today and my companions. So it's the methodology of following knowledge and it comes before everything. And I find myself at this stage in need of reminding myself of it and reminding you of it. But also this knowledge is in need of implementation because the one who acts without knowledge, then they risk uh, being misguided but the one who does not act upon what they know, then they resemble, as Allah said, They resemble the donkey that carries upon its back the scrolls of knowledge and its scriptures, but it does not benefit from it. So yes, um, really important for us to ground ourselves in knowledge, but to be amongst the foremost in implementing them. The next part is in introducing and discussing the topic of living Islam in the West. 
we need to appreciate the fact that this beautiful religion of ours, it has come with certain khasais, characteristics that we need to be aware of. And I, there are many characteristics that the ulama, when they did al-istiqara, when they looked at the text of the book and the sunnah in the usul, and they outlined it for them. I'm going to focus on only three. The first of them being al-waqi'iyya, that Islam is a realistic religion. When you look at the methodology of all the prophets and their messengers and, and their followers, you will find that in every day and age, each messenger came to rectify the waqi', the reality of the people that they came to meet. So when you find the people of Musa, for example, the, the, their waqi' was that they were an enslaved people and that they had um, excesses in, 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 in dealing with magic and sihr. The people of, of Isa, alayhi salam, they had a tendency towards um, looking at miraculous things and they had an interest in Greco-Roman uh, medicine. So the messengers and their, their message came to deal with these realities. The Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the Khatam al-Anbiya wa Rusul, he came and he found his ummah um, in, 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 in great uh, misguidance. And he came and he found a very problematic um, social, economic, political, and cultural, um, you know, what could be just classed as a, as a very problematic mess. And he came to systematically rectify that through a methodology of a tasfiya and a tarbiya. First of all, by cleansing the aqidah. And this is what distinguishes the methodology of Ahl Sunnah from other than it. That the very first point that they, be they begin with in their quest to reform society is to start with the aqidah. Because the aqidah is what shapes the people and what shapes the society. So any other attempt to fix a society that looks beyond that, it risks being superficial. It, no matter how long it could go on for, it will always, or it tends to come back and collapse. And if you look at the contemporary Muslim world, when you look at the different sort of attempts to construct an Islamic society, which have gone the diff by the different methodologies, either the methodology of the Khawarij, the methodology of the Takfiris, the methodologies of um, the, the Islamists, those who use Islam in a political sense, um, in, in, in a politicized manner, such as the, the Ikhwan al-Muslimin, you find that their attempts to restore glory to the Muslim world, sadly, um, has not always succeeded because, um, as Imam Malik said, لا يسلح آخر that the latter part of this ummah cannot be rectified except by that which rectified the first part. Now, this leads a lot of work. It doesn't mean, um, you know, just for example, blind following. It means that we need to have a critical scholarship. And this, this is what institutions invite towards that let's look at our legacy. Let's look at the, the hadith, that which is authentic from it. How can we implement those hadith in our contemporary uh, world? So that's the first thing, uh, the first characteristic of al-waqi'iyya, being realistic. The second distinguishing characteristic of Islam is al-shumuliyya. Islam is a comprehensive religion. And so therefore, any attempt to live Islam in any context across the world, in the East, in the West particularly, uh, it has to be shaped by this. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in the Quran, Ya ayyuhalladhina amanu udkhulu fi silmi kafa. All you who believe enter into Islam completely. And this is where Muslims face challenges um, in a part of the world where there has been a trend towards secularism. 
separating religion from the affairs of the state. Now this presents challenges for Muslims, but Islam has brought us tools which can enable us to navigate around these challenges. And furthermore, to present society with solutions about how um, religion could be a really empowering and could be a really helpful thing to have with us. So this is a shumuliya And then thirdly, finally, we have a rabbaniya That this is, it, it, it returns back to the concept of a rabb And a rabb linguistically, from the verb rabba yarubbu, which is tarbiyatu shay' halan fahal ila haddil kamal. It is to nurture something step by step until it reaches a state of completion. So this is what Islam is distinguished by, that all of our efforts to restore or, or, or rectify our societies, it has to take this uh, Rabbani approach of taking things step by step, not rushing um, and following the prophetic guidance. All right. After this, um, this general um, caveat, to set the tone for my lecture. I'm aware that our time is, is going very quickly. I'll go on to the first uh, tool, which I would like to share with you. So I'm gonna share my screen again. So the first thing that I would like to share in the, the very substance of my uh, brief talk is that we need an ability to look at things beyond black and white when we say we are living Islam in the West, right? Now, why is that? Because in my research, so I am a, I'm a researcher um, and I would, I would encourage anyone who, let's say, is interested in researching Muslim minority affairs in the West or whatever, in whatever part of the world, we need to produce knowledge so that we understand the problems that we face as, as, a, as, a, as a Muslim community in the West. If you look at other religions, for example, the Jews and the Christians, you'll find that they have entire departments and universities dedicated to their studies. Whether they be studies studying their scriptures from a, let's say, a, text, a textual point of view to contemporary things such as, you know, uh, what's the statistics of the Christian community in Europe? What are the problems that face Christian identity or Jewish identity? What are the church-state relations? Now, when you ask Muslims um, in, 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 in the UK, for example, what are, what are the, the the, the, the points or what are the challenges that are facing our communities? What are the youth facing in terms of problems, preserving their identity? What is it that explains youth violence in the streets of London, etc.? You find that sadly our institutions aren't really equipped to offer us you know, insights so that we can, again, going back to the concept of knowledge, knowledge is, is, is broad and we need to produce this knowledge to understand our, our problems in the West and to be able to use the solutions from the kitab and the sunnah to implement them in a proper and a constructive way. So in my research, I've come across several times when individual Muslims have told me that they don't see the West as, let's say, a, a constructive home for them. And at face value, when you look at that, that is problematic in a number of ways, because first of all, it means that they don't really feel they belong here, number one. Number two, it places a question mark around what they do to perhaps be part of a society, whether it be being an active member in their communities, um, contributing with things that could help their communities from both an internal Muslim point of view, but also from the broader general society. So it's important for Muslims to, 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 to realize, hang on a sec, we found ourselves here in the West. What does Islam say about that? 
what is our understanding of Islam and the Muslim world? And when you look at this, you find that Islam has tools for us. For example, the concept that an ummah, there's two types of ummah. There's the ummatul ijabah and there's the ummatul da'wah. There's the ummah which has accepted Islam uh, and, and they are the ummah who have the al-Islam al-Shari'i, that they have accepted Allah's um, irada shari'iya, Allah's universal or rather legislative will to live their lives in accordance with the Sharia of Islam to the best of their abilities. But there's an ummah umma that the Prophet Sallallahu referred to in many hadith. For example, when he said that inna Allah zawalil ard, Allah, uh, he raised for me or he opened up for me the earth and I could see that mashrib and the maghrib and indeed my ummah shall fill this space. So there's a need for us to be able to, you know, to, to realize our role here. And that determines so many things, such as, for example, um, is it the fact that we're just going to hang around and wait for a so-called hijrah? Um, which, when you look at it from a, from a pragmatic point of view, it, it can be very challenging in so many fronts. We live in a day and age where to be able to move borders, to go from one national boundary to another, you need so many things like, you know, whether it be um, an occupation, whether it be in terms of, you know, um, having qualifications, what are you going to offer to the, um, to the social economic um, context of the particular country you're looking to make hijrah to? Does making hijrah make you to be somebody who's, who's going to be absent in living in the West? So these are many things that we need to question. And I believe that if we look at Islam from the perspective that I have introduced, Islam being a religion which is comprehensive, which is realistic, I believe that the Messenger Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam in the context that we're in would have wanted us to be constructive members of the society. And when you look at the seer of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and we were just going through that, me and my students, we came across the, the Hilf Al-Fudul, the Fudul Confederacy or the Treaty. When in Jahiliyyah, prior to him being commissioned as a prophet, he said in his seerah, لَقَدْ شَهِدْتُ فِي دَارِ أَبْدِلَى بِنْ جَدَعَانْ حِلْفًا لَوْ دُعِيتُ إِلَى الْإِسْلَامِ مِثْلِهِ لَأَجَبْتُ That I was invited to the house of Abdullah bin Jada'an before I was a prophet. And indeed, if I was called to its like now in Islam, I would have attended it. Because it was a confederacy which involved um, making peace with the society, promoting justice, and safeguarding people's rights, because this is what Islam came to do, to promote peace, to promote constructive building of society. So this is one of the evidences that we can use to, to make sure that wherever Muslims find themselves in, that they are constructive members of society, especially in this day and age where Islam has sadly been smeared by you know, a, such a sad campaign of you know, whether it be viewed as a religion of extremism, of terrorism. So it's a challenge upon our communities to reverse that. You know? And this is a, an opportune moment, as I said, in the circumstances that we're in to contribute something towards that. The next part is that we need to recognize the objectives of Islam in living in the West. And as I said, Ibn Qayyim rahimahullah, and his Sheikh Ibn Taymiyyah, they have clarified in their text that one of the greatest principles, the maqasid and the objectives of Islam is none other than tahqiq al-sa'ada, the fulfillment of happiness in our lives. But indeed they said, how can somebody taste the happiness of the eternal Jannah 
when they've not been able to taste it in this dunya. So that tells a Muslim, wherever they are, it is an absolute objective of theirs to enable themselves to live enriched, fulfilled lives, wherein they fulfill their ambitions, and they are people who benefit the society and benefit their communities. And Islam enables that through the recognition of the darurat al-khams by the five basic necessities. And this is a very important concept to have in mind in being able to live Islam anywhere across the world. That as long as these five basic necessities are being safeguarded, then there is hope that you can implement and that you can establish a fruitful and fulfilled life. They are a nafs, like a deen, firstly, religion, and nafs, life, then al-aql, the intellect, al-mal, the wealth, and al-ird, the honor and integrity. So a Muslim, anywhere they find themselves, they have to ensure that these five essential characteristics are looked after and that they are preserved. And where in any context where one of them is being compromised, then the Muslim needs to look at themselves and to see, as Allah said, inna ardullahi wasi'ah, that indeed the earth of Allah is expansive and is spacious. So where you are unable to implement your religion in a proper way, then look to another context, etc. And finally, we are now roughly at the at half past six. One last uh, tool I would like to share is the importance of taking action. Uh, what is called social individual agency. You um, doing what you can despite your circumstances. So you living Islam in the West, you can ask yourself, okay, um, I'm in a situation where the government that rules us is a non-Muslim government, okay. And there are institutions that exert so much influence over how we live our lives, over how we educate our children. There are entire agendas being drawn out, uh, pushing different ideologies um, and almost kind of forcing them in a very draconian manner. So, you know, what can we do? And in that light, I say to exercise your individual agency, your action. How? The Messenger Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam clarified this to us in the most um, dramatic, in the most eloquent and in the most um, forceful of ways when he said, that when the hour is about to be established and one of you has a seed, then plant it. So what's the message behind that? The message behind that is that the Muslim is only tasked or commissioned with taking action in accordance with their ability. And as So I feel not to be responsible for So the
Just received a message that we will leave questions for today. Maghrib, Jazakallah Khair. 
the message assalamu alaikum Oman could you please share your screen with us before ending the lecture so we can write down the key points um, okay I will share my screen one more time Can take a screenshot. I can also copy and paste. So let me copy these points. chat and also if any of you screen sharing as well then take that that benefits um, the manhaj of living the methodology of living Islam in the West um, is something that is a course that I, I teach my students so I have a madras here in Edinburgh Scotland and it's one of the subjects that I teach um, okay so comprehensive I'm just looking at some of the comments now. It, I believe it means comprehensive. Ashumuliya. Ashumuliya means comprehensiveness. Ashamil. Um, shamala yashmalu shumulan. The hadith of the seed is a hadith narrated from the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Um, and it is an authentic hadith. The Prophet said, Ida qamati sa'ah, if the hour is established, wabiyadi ahadikum fasila. And one of you had in their hands a seed, and, and plant it. So it's a very vivid um, reminder from the Prophet that upon the Muslim is to um, act constructively. Because the hour is about to be established, you do not know, you, you, you'll never probably eat from the fruit of that tree. But you are rewarded as a Muslim for your action and not necessarily the fruits of the action. Right? Um, and it's an example that we use that even if you have no power, you have no influence, you know, the world is going to pieces as far as you're concerned, you know, do what is in your capability. Yeah. If you have, for example, a family, look after your family, put food on the table. If that's all that you had, act upon that and Allah will reward you for that. Um, and this is something which is very important for us because you find in some of the deviant ideologies, such as the ideologies of people who, let's say, um, have a kind of, you know, mindset where they want to go and establish an Islamic state somewhere in the, you know, in the Middle East. You know, they have this concept where they put it on, they put upon their shoulders the burden of rectifying the whole ummah. And they get very emotional about it. And the thing about Islam is because when we don't follow uh, the methodology, you don't miss or you miss the very important priorities so they have in their eyes that they have to fix the whole world's problems and they neglect their families back home you know they neglect to put food on the table they neglect to look after their children to look after their wife's rights when as the hadith says all of you are shepherds over your flocks and each of you will be asked about your flock so it's very important, you know, um, taking care 
التقديم الأهم فالمهم فيما دون ذلك prioritizing beginning with that which is obligatory upon you for yourself seeking knowledge implementing it looking after your family um, so our action should be within that prism of doing that which we're capable of doing not belittling the small actions and that perhaps these small actions that we do if all of us were to implement as a community it would have a cumulative effect of raising the status of our of our ummah that Allah knows best Scrolling down the questions. Yep, somebody posted the original hadith text. We talked about honor and integrity. How can we safeguard that when living under government that's a Muslim a problem and dishonorable Islamic veil? Would that make hijrah necessary? Again, going back to the concept of um, being realistic. Okay, let's say uh, one of you sees that, you know. Sadly, I'm beginning to see this country as a country that I can't really uh, practice my religion freely. You say, okay, I mean, if you, if you saw that, okay, what steps are you taking realistically to enable yourself to make that hijab? Are you engaged in a degree of study that will give you the qualifications to, to go and serve another Muslim community? Um, do you have the capital? So it's very important for us to always have that realistic perspective um, you know, in, in sight. Um, yeah, uh, and yeah, that, that's all I can say in regards to that question right now. How do you cultivate children when they're learning about LGBT in schools? Should we homeschool or send them to Islamic schools, inshallah? Of course, very problematic and, and, and very challenging. And, um, and these, these are things which um, our, our communities are, are faced by. And I think, again, going back to the principle of being realistic, as long as, let's say, for example, you, in your current circumstance, right, where you live, where you are, you sadly can't make, you can't make hijab. Because let's say the country that you, you came from originally is a war zone, sadly. Or, you know, you're unable to, 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 to acquire a residence permit to travel to a country that you want to live in. So you're here right now, deal with that reality. If your children are going to go to schools and they're going to be exposed to ideologies that our religion um, has a certain standpoint on, okay, what realistic steps are we taking to address that? Are we equipping our, 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 our children with the insights to make them to be able to recognize these ideologies and to be secure in their own Islamic beliefs? I think that's really important. And I think sometimes our Muslim... According to my own research that I've seen, that I've conducted with Muslim communities in the UK and Scandinavia, I've seen the danger when, when, when parents sugarcoat things for their children. And when they, when they pretend that children, you know, as long as they're at home, you know, they, they're with mom and dad, they'll be fine when they go out in society. And they don't really, um, expo they don't really teach their children about the reality out there. You know, when these children go out, they're going to be exposed to things which are going to really test their Islamic identity. So it's really key for us to, number one, know what these challenges are, where we stand on them in regards to our religion, and we equip our children with them. You know, things like, okay, why do we wait until the children are taught LG, uh, sexual education 
when we have a whole tradition in Islam teaching us some of these ethics to begin with. You know, I think that there's so much that our Islamic faith and tradition gives that we should be on the front foot. We should be proactive instead of waiting until a problem occurs and then we are acting in a very reactive way. And Allah knows best. Right. You need to have private time with your kids about this, so it's key for us. Uh, absolutely. You know, as the Prophet said, Inna Allah la yastahi min al haq. That Allah is not shy from the haq and the truth. That, you know, Islam came to address these, these, some of these issues in a very clear way. And, you know, uh, and, and we need these tools. And it's an, it's an imperative for our communities to acquire the skills they need to be able to impart these to, to our children and to our families. I believe that um, our time is up. It's Maghrib now. Um, I'm really grateful for all of you for your input. Jazakum um, Allah khairan. Jazakallah khair ya akhi Abdul Wahid. Sabakallah. Hafidak. May Allah make this a source of blessing to all of us um, and grant us um, safety and well-being in this dunya and the akhirah and make us among those who... Um, Enter the Jannah. Hada, Wallahu Alam, Wasalla Allah, Wasallam, Ala Nabina Muhammad, Wasahbihi Wasallam, Tasneem Kathira.